Welcome to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. My name's Wayne. And I'm Robert. And uh, we've had a little bit of hiatus, as you may have noticed, but we are back. And uh, Robert and I have been <laughs> having conflicting schedules uh, for recording and whatnot. Um, I guess it's sort of the end of the year con season. Um, but we're back. We're going to try to keep on that monthly schedule. By the time you're hearing this, it'll probably be December. Um, so happy holidays for people who celebrate the holidays. Uh, Merry Christmas for those who celebrate Christmas. Hopefully you'll have some some fun stuff to do and and say. But what we're going to do tonight, um, we're just going to dive right back in. And I know everybody's kind of eager to hear us. Well, maybe not me talk, but here, here the, the podcast is we're going to talk about the races of Dark Sun. And the reason we want to do that is because for those who are familiar with Dark Sun, you know that these races have gone away and turned away from the sort of norms of D&D fantasy and really, really turned them on their head. And we're going to talk specifically about those a little bit later. But also the fact that this was a huge departure when you talk about second edition, when you talked about the elf had, uh, going back to the, my second edition knowledge, you know, the elf had a plus one to dex, minus one to con, that sort of thing. There was a standardized idea there. Doctrine really changed that. So what we're going to do, of course, we're going to break it down into the lore, the story, and the mechanics. And we'll talk about you know, second edition, a little third edition, and of course, fifth edition as we go through and, and, and go through. So Robert, why don't you start us off? Why don't we uh, break down the, the, the race that we're going to talk about today? Sure. So we're going to talk about the core races first, because there, there's enough races to talk about to give us a couple of, of episodes. So we're just going to talk about the, the, the old core races. So basically the, uh, the dwarves, the elves, the half elves, the halflings, and the humans. And an interesting point is that, uh, you know, Tim Brown and the people that created Dark Sun initially didn't want to have any of the core races in the book. So initially, but they thought, uh, you know, whoever, whoever the hires up at the time thought that, that would be too much of a departure. So they had to figure out a way to make them fit. So that's, that's kind of an interesting. And you can see, you know, you could easily see, uh, a, at least I could easily see a world with, you know, without these races. And, and that all actually kind of came around to sort of some of the, some of the meta plot of the, um, of the world. And it probably also led into a little bit of, uh, Tim Brown's Dragon Kings when he redid, you know, when he kind of had his spiritual successor to Dark Sun Dragon Kings, which actually there, there's a Kickstarter out right now that they're doing, um, a fifth edition version of it. But there, you know, there are no elves and dwarves and stuff like that in that. So there's just sort of different races, which is which is cool. But back to Dark Sun, um, you know, one of the one of the things that they all have in common, um, despite the fact that they're all very different here, is that there are not really any sub races in Dark Sun. The elves, you know, they have tribes, but they're not really sub races like like they were before or like there are now in fifth edition. Uh, the only kind of race that really has a sub race is uh, the Thrykreen, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about next episode or the next time we talk about races anyway. So uh, with that, let's start, uh, let's dig in and start talking about dwarves. Tell us about dwarves, Wayne. So dwarves are not the hairy, Irish, Scottish accented dwarves that we have in, in normal fantasy. If you go back into the stories and go back to the lore, the dragon Boris actually was on the verge of destroying all the dwarves. So I'm actually not sure if we talked about this, but basically, you know, there was a, a cleansing. Every, every race that was not human was given to one of the champions to cleanse from the world. And the dwarves were almost destroyed. They were at their last stronghold. So 
think about what that does for an entire culture, what that does for an entire race. This is beyond genocide. Anybody who understands genocide is a 10% destruction of, uh, of a race or a culture. This is like there's maybe 10% left. And what that does is that uh, dwarves are no longer uh, part of a clan anymore, but they they have no culture to latch on. They have no race or or cities or anything to latch on to. But what they do have, what the defining moment, the defining aspect of a, a dwarf in, in Dark Sun is their focus, is that singular um, concentration of what they, with their life force and maybe their whole ancestry is meant to do. Yeah, I always thought the focus as sort of a sad thing, really. You know, dwarves really have nothing left. Uh, you know, they, like you said, they don't have any cities, they don't have their clans. And so the focus is the sort of this thing that they latch on to and, and they have to kind of complete their their focus. And and even if they do, you know, not only is, is that in and of itself somewhat kind of sad, but even if they if they don't complete a major focus and they die, they become a banshee, which is this horrible, you know, basically a, an undead dwarf that will haunt, uh, you know, any other person in the area, depending on, you know, what the, you know, what the banshee does, it might stay in an area or it might, it might move along. It, so it just like dwarves always seem sad. Like I really like dwarves. Um, mm-hmm. And because that focus is really their entire purpose. Yeah. Their, their race is decimated. They have no any racial or cultural focus anymore. Mm-hmm. So they have to do it individually. And this yeah. is their beyond survival. This is the most important thing in their individual lives. And it's not even a, a group thing anymore. It's just, I must do this or be turned into a banshee or and be called a failure basically. Yeah. And, you know, along the same lines of not having, you know, not having the culture, like they don't really, they don't live underground. One of the things that kind of did away with in dark, and not really did away with, but just lessened is the idea of, of dungeons. And so there's not a lot of underground stuff. And so dwarves kind of lost that ability as well. So they don't, they don't have the ability uh, in second edition to detect um, kind of sloping passages or to, to fight giants like they used to, which is, um, which is interesting. I think they still could have kept the fighting giants. I think the, like their focus wasn't that big of a bonus that I think, you know, they could have taken that away or they should have taken that away, but, but they did. And, you know, that kind of changes, changes them. Um, it's interesting to note that if you look at the, um, if you look in the, the Dark Sun rules book, you know, the original book, the section on dwarf, the dwarf class is really small. It's, it's literally like, it's literally about half a page. Whereas, um, uh, whereas the elves, they get about a page and a quarter. So there's, you know, there's very little written about the dwarves. There's definitely, uh, you know, there's a lot of room for, I think, for dwarves to um, to be filled out in any kind of individual individual game. And just going back to second edition, I mean, elves were the overpowered race as it was. I mean, yeah. other than the fact that they had a minus one to con, which didn't help them, but, you know, plus one to dex, which means armor class. And, you know, they had the plus one to attack. Uh, with uh, certain weapons, mm-hmm. uh, you know that that made elves pretty overpowered as it is. And you get into this into Dark Sun, yeah, dwarves have slightly better ability scores, and we'll talk more about that in mechanics afterwards. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you've taken away a lot of the things that dwarves had in a normal fantasy world, and they've taken that away. You've taken out the clan. You've taken away their sense of self or sense of being heck if you take away their hair i mean uh <laughs> dwarves are bald 
<laughs> right? <laughs> you know, yep. they're not the hairy. You're not the hairy, um, hairy dwarves from you see in Lord of the Rings or whatnot, right? Yeah, one of the interesting things that was in one of the books, and I want to say it was a Troy Denning book, but I can't recall if it was or not. Um, but they actually talked about how they they kind of burned their hair off with lye, I think, which was interesting. In all of the original Dark Sun books, they just said they were they were bald and they were hairless, and they didn't really say why or whatever. And then that you know they talked about burning burning it off like it was some sort of ritual thing. Um, I'd have to go back and read that, but I always thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, I sort of remember that, but. I can't remember the reference either. Hmm. Well, let's move on. Let's move on to elves. So we talked about dwarves and let's talk about the traditionally enemies or opponents of the dwarves, which is the elves. And the elves have, have changed changed dramatically as well from your forest dwelling, which basically there's no forests in in uh in Dark Sun. Mm-hmm. Um there's one one. But like let's say in general there's no forest. No forest dwelling creatures. But now you got elves that are completely different in Dark Sun. Yeah. So the elves, you know, the biggest thing is that the biggest obvious thing I should say is that they're tall. They're like six and a half to seven and a half feet tall. So elves in most normal worlds are, uh, you know, are a little bit shorter than humans. They're, you know, five to five, eight or something like that. So these elves are really tall and that that's sort of, a, um, I would imagine, I mean, you know, I probably imagine that they just decided like oh let's make them tall to be different and then maybe maybe the running thing came afterwards you know said you know since they're so tall maybe they can run and so one of the things that they can do is uh you know they that's part of their culture is that they run uh, as as a community even like pregnant mothers and old elves are supposed to supposed to keep up and if they can't keep up they kind of get left behind so that's sort of you know a little a little bit of self-sufficiency there in their lifestyle. And again, they're, you know, they're always running. So they always have this, you know, they have this tribal life, you know, they don't have a, this sedentary life. So those are just a couple of things, you know, there's a bunch more, but I'll let you talk about uh, some, some more aspects of elven life. In second edition, traditionally elves were the ranger or the wizard. You know, you, you see a lot of elven wizards mm-hmm. and in dark sun, obviously wizardry and magic is, is, is treated completely different. So what you've done is you've really taken away that cultural aspect of the elves, like not, not just their homelands, like, you know, again, like the dwarves, you've taken away their homelands. So now elves have become this nomadic culture, almost in a, in a, you know, these, these traveling, not even circuses, but these traveling merchants, um, who are more known for being thieves in the elven quarters and the elven markets, the, the people who rip you off. And traveling between cities, between areas in this nomadic fashion where even the elves in the city are considered lesser because they don't run anymore. They don't travel anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's a very insular group, just like maybe the dwarves used to be where they're like, you know, you can only join a dwarven clan after proving yourself and you're not a dwarf or whatnot. Elves have done the same thing in Dark Sun now. They've, they've created this tribal structure where you got to kind of keep up, you got to keep up with what they're doing, those kind of things, because that that's that's really it. I mean, again, this is the dark sun thing of turning things in the, on their head. No longer are they, no longer el- are elves the elegant, wizardly race. They're the you know fast and nimble thieves and and rogues, basically. Yeah, and I think you know one of the cool things that they did is you know they twisted those things, and so. They, even though the, like, they're not known to be 
wizards um, specifically, they still are, you know, they, they, they accept all kinds of wizardry. And that means that, you know, some elven clans are ruled by, you know, by defilers and some are by preservers. So it kind of def- depends on the clan. But, you know, since they, it's sort of accepted, that means any clan or most clans will like sell components, spell components. So that automatically puts them at odds with Templars um, of the city states or with just other people because some people don't like it, uh, you know, don't like uh, magic at all. Even if your characters aren't elves, you might have a wizard in your party. So, you know, you're, you're probably going to have to deal with elves and you can probably, you know, make a deal with them, uh, you know, maybe about smuggling you out of the city or whatever. So, you know, that kind of aspect kind of automatically puts them in, in alignment with uh, player characters sometimes. And that lets them, you know, you were talking about the the friendship thing that lets them maybe be, you know, at some point become friends with some elves. And one of the things, you know, they are very insular, like you were talking about, uh, and they will like create tests of friendship to slowly kind of let outsiders into their, into their tribes. And sometimes those, those tests of friendship can be dangerous and seemingly reckless, but they're there to, to make sure that somebody's really there, you know, really going to be there for the, for the person, for the elf or for the tribe. And, you know, that is, uh, I thought that was, you know, always a really cool, cool aspect. You know, we talked about how, you know, they're, they're runners. They have this, uh, this view by others that they are thieves and raiders. But in fact, most elves are, are usually herders. The majority of tribes are herders. They herd creatures that can keep up with them. So, uh, kanks and crowdloo, um, that can constantly run or run fast. But if, something happens to their tribes, you know, if a, a giant windstorm comes and decimates their tribe or some other creature or uh, the dragon comes or whatever, you know, they will turn to raiding to do what they have to. And then there are those tribes that maybe instead of, you know, if something happened to them and they didn't want to turn to raiding. So instead they, they turn to trading. And so there are multiple different kinds of tribes. One of the cool things with Dark Sun Elves was the Elves of Athos book that came out. It was completely drawn by uh, Tony DiCherlisi. And so his style, um, if you're familiar with Planescape, you know, his style is very soft. All of the drawings he did for that book are amazing. And that book really, really lays down, you know, Elven history, Elven, um, Elven tribes, and all the different kinds of tribes there are, the different names. Uh, I always love that kind of Elven naming convention, which kind of follows along with some of the other worlds. But you know, there's a lot of, a lot of like multiple letters, like the same letters. So like multiple um, vowels, and then there are apostrophes here and there too. And so there were a number of words that you, you know, you could write small sentences, short sentences in Elvin, which I thought was cool. I'll, I'll admit, I've actually never read that book. Oh man, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard good things about it, but I've, I actually never had a copy of it. We, we, we never had a copy between any of us. So it wasn't something that we we had access to, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, when you look at the you you look at elves in that way, it's it's really taking that very different approach, different very different mindset of what elves were in the traditional fantasy setting, and then we put them into this dark sun setting where you've completely changed what they do. And I don't know that someone might be like, oh, you know, they did the same thing in Eberron. Mm-hmm. And when we get to the mechanics, we'll talk a little bit about the differences as well. Sure. So from elves to half elves. Now, half elves, no pun intended, you know, are the kind of bastard 
children in second edition because they're just kind of like these, you know, you're half elf, you don't really get any of the cool powers or anything. And I remember whenever we played second edition and, and people out there can, can correct me if they're wrong as well. But, you know, humans, you know, DMs used to be like, oh, humans kind of have nothing. We'll give them a, a free stat bump somewhere. I think it used to, I think it was like every, all the humans get a, a plus one or, or, or whatnot. I guess what Dark Sun did with half elves is sort of bridge some of that gap between not really having any abilities and giving them something very unique for the half elves. And you see that in fifth edition now too, where a half elf is not like a mix of the human and the elf abilities. It's, they've done something completely different. And they really did that here in terms of not having a culture, like that traditional, you know, you're, you're a child of two worlds, and mm-hmm. not really in either one. That they kept, and that's been the signature of half elves. So I think in, in that sense, uh, half elves are the most like their fantasy uh, D&D counterparts. Yeah, definitely. Um, in some worlds, you know, you can play a half elf that was maybe raised by elves. It's super difficult story-wise in Dark Sun, be- just because of the fact the whole like, you know, hey, you have to keep up, you have to run. And, you know, half elves just can't do it. Um, they can't keep up with elves. And so um, it automatically kind of puts them on the outside of elven society. They will most most likely, you know, just be part of human society. But even there, like you said, they're still sort of shunned. I feel like that is sort of a holdover from standard fantasy in Dark Sun. I don't really think they should be shunned because as you know, once we get into humans, you know, humans have all kinds of different alterations to their appearance. And so I don't see why. I mean, I guess I guess there's just the cultural thing of elves. And so I, but I don't know. It, it always felt a little bit forced to me. I guess I'd never really had um, too many or any that, that I can think of half elf characters in my games. I think the reason for the shunning is very dependent on the fantasy world. You know, that that's always been one of those. It's been a trope. I like it's, it's a D and D trope Definitely. in dark sun. It is more so the fact that for the elves, elves are not going to accept the half elf because they can't run as fast and they can't keep up. And a lot of times it's just a dalliance and then they're gone. On the human side, it's more that elves are untrustworthy and these half elves are more elf than human. So they're untrustworthy as well, just by their parentage. On the elf side, it's like they're more useless. I don't want to say useless as, you know, (laughs) no child is useless, but they're, they, they can't be integrated into elf society. So that's where they, they've created this, this world where this can, this can happen. And it's got a little more natural feel rather than just being like, no, because you're half of one and half the other, you don't fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, half elves basically have, again, we go through this, have basically no society, have no yeah. uh, culture. And, and that's a very standard trope in D&D. They have some special abilities to make up for that. We'll talk about that in, in the mechanics as well. So from half elves, we're going to move on just because you know, not, not too much to say there. Yeah, We're going to talk about halflings. This is the 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 major one that you know. You start reading Dark Sun, and you're like, "What? They're they're cannibals?" And technically, that's the incorrect use of the term because right. they don't eat their own kind, but they'll eat other intelligent and sentient creatures. <laughs> In a moment, yes. <laughs> I really love that aspect of them. They are so sort of their mindsets are so alien to the rest of people of Athos, you know, in that they will eat them. 
And like, if they are, if they're rating, I love the, you know, the fact that they say like when they raid, like they don't really know what they're raiding for. They just go and raid. And once the leader decides that they've found what they were looking for, or, you know, they, they get enough uh, captives or whatever, then, then they're done. Like, I just, I love that, that they're not like out for something specific because one of the things about them is, you know, they are very tribal as well. Um, Unlike elves, elves will fight each other, you know, over, over whatever they want, but halflings recognize that it does them no good as a race to have conflict with, with other tribes. So all of the, any, any conflict that comes up between tribes will be ultimately settled peacefully, but a halfling will even help kind of their, their other halfling enemy because they will never kind of cross them or lie to other, other halflings. So it's a cool society that is very different from dark sun and, and other worlds. It's very interesting in that they, you know, they're sort of outside of the society of Dark Sun in that they live in the forest, which most people think uh, don't really exist. And so uh, they're, they're rare um, and they are alien, which is, which is cool. This is a really great example of something being turned completely on its head because the D&D trope of halflings is this welcoming, um, very friendly race. Mm-hmm that integrates well. I mean, halflings are often mentioned. They're integrated into human and other societies, even though they, they do have their own culture. And you turn it on its head where this is a very alien-minded race where they believe that other cultures are food. It's perfectly fine to have them as food. People fear them. I mean, generally in D&D, you don't fear a halfling. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, one or two might, you know, it, it's the ninja thing where the it's the inverse proportional ninja thing where the less ninjas it, it is, the more powerful the ninja is. So there's like a billion ninjas. They're all really, really weak. But if there's one ninja, he's really strong. So <laughs> that's like the halfling thing. But now you turn it on and you're like, they, they've turned into like these kobolds, but they're still halflings. They're still powerful individually. So uh, a halfling is in the city and people are wary of it because it's, are, are they going to bite me and eat me? Or what are they going to do? Are there more of them? Um, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it really turns the culture around as well, because you know halflings are the original, the original race on the planet. Like they, you know, the planet was they they were the first ones, first ones there. Yeah, always a little interesting thing. So we've gone through those. Before we get into humans, I just want to mention one thing that uh, a couple, I, I'm sure a couple of our listeners are very happy with. There are no gnomes in Dark Sun. <laughs> they are dead. They've been wiped <laughs> off the ray, wiped off the planet. Uh-huh. So we're not going to talk about them. Because as for culture, we don't really know anything other than a couple mentions here or there. So finally, let's get into humans. Again, one thing is, is that humans are the standard race. We can understand humans, human beings. Just as a a side note, in the real world, we call them human beings. I've been corrected by my English teacher before. You don't call someone a human it's considered rude. It's not actually technically correct. You have to call them human beings. But when there's multiple races, you can call them humans. So humans are your standard race. They are the most prolific. They are the ones that were, quote unquote, spared uh, from that time of cleansing. And they give us a baseline for D&D. Um, that's always been that D&D trope. Now, obviously, the humans of Dark Sun are not, still not quite the same. The humans in the original box set talk about how um, many of them are, are mutated uh, and they have a marked alteration to their appearance. They might have, uh, you know, just kind of bizarre facial features like large chin 
or nose and pointed ears, um, which again, you know, going back to the, to the half elf thing, you know, like, you know, they have pointed ears too. So still, still not seeing a whole lot of that, but, um, they might not have facial hair. They might, their skin color might be different. And, you know, obviously if you're in the sun, you're going to have darker skin, but this kind of talks about an actual kind of coppery hues of gray or patchy kind of skin. They might have webbed toes or fingers, which, you know, maybe while there's kind of not a whole lot of swimming, maybe it'll help them dig or something like that. They might have longer or shorter limbs. But one thing they do point out is um, that none of them will actually kind of have any benefit or or hindrance to gameplay. So it's just purely cosmetic. They didn't want to give, um, they don't want to give them any, any other physical abilities. In terms of culturally, in terms of, of Dark Sun, humans are the only ones that have built cities, or at least they're the only ones that are maintaining cities yeah. um, as of now. Um, yes, there's, you know, elven tribes and, and halfling villages, but in terms of a city as we understand it, mm-hmm. you know, with a with that kind of government, they're the only ones and they're the majority of everything, not just because they're the only survive basically the only surviving race, other than halflings who are not we're not targeted. All the sorcerer kings are human. Um, their Templar, our majority, are human. They are the baseline for comparison. So in second edition, you had, it was always a balance, right? So elves had plus one dex, minus one con, while humans were just flat. You know, and, you know, house rules aside, there was always that. More so than any kind of standard D&D world, a campaign world, you know, yes, every campaign world has the humans as their baseline. But humans are the ones that are, they're the ones that are left in this blasted world. They're the only ones with civilization, per se. They're the only ones with, with cities. So to be a human, depending on how you play Dark Sun, to be a human was to be quote unquote normal. Really at that point, it was, it's to be normal. Yeah. All the other races, I mean, with the exception of, you know, maybe the dwarves, um, just because they didn't really have their own culture. So all, but all the other races were definitely outside of sort of, the, the normal civilization, although most of the cities are are sort of melting pots, although some of them have, uh, like in books like The Veiled Alliance, they talk about different percentages uh, in each city-state, but still the, the humans are the vast majority. And, you know, mm-hmm. talking about the culture of the humans, one of the things that Dark Sun did to get away, um, you know, again, talking about the changes of Dark Sun uh, versus kind of standard fantasy is they try to get away from that pseudo European um, culture that was prolific during that time. Right. And the way they did that was by having these major city states, each take on a different culture of the earth. And so, you know, nowadays it might've been like, if you were to do that, it would probably be, you know, I would imagine that people would just kind of take some very light kind of touches from those cultures. Whereas in, in dark sun, you know, the, the aesthetics were there, but also kind of the underpinnings sometimes of the culture. So like Balak is very sort of Roman in style. And so there are senators and things like that. Um, although, you know, it's ultimately ruled by the Sorcerer King, but that's, you know, not, not a whole lot different than Caesar. So, you know, that's based on that. Then there you have Golg that is, that are based, that is based on some African societies, uh, Nibine that is kind of based on sort of like uh, Southeast Asian societies. Uh, Yurik mm-hmm. is kind of Sumerian Ram is uh is definitely Indian and Draj is uh, is kind of Olmec or Aztec. Um and then mm-hmm. Tyr is sort of uh it's sort of like vanilla in that there's not a whole lot there, but it is somewhat of sort of like a Phoenician kind of vibe. And then the, some of the other city states 
Kaladne is very, even though that's ruins, that culture used to be very much uh, Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Um, the two that really didn't seem to have any, or maybe I just didn't pick on, pick up on them, but Yaramuk and um, Gaestanal are ruins of city-states and, you know, used to have um, soldier kings, but they don't really have a heavy influence that I could detect in, you know, because little was written about them, really. Yeah. And then up north, there are a couple other city-states, too. And Kern was never really talked about what that city-state looked like. And, uh, wow, I cannot rem- remember the name of the other one. Um, but the one that's uh, ruled by Daskinor, I feel like it's got a very sort of Chinese feel to it mm-hmm. probably because it was sort of like walled off and um, you know it was created during you know in the 90s so uh china was still you know a big enemy of the united states and stuff so i feel like a lot of that <laughs> is sort of chinese uh, related i think also because they were filling out the rest of the cultures and they're trying to put every uh, some things in afterwards because that's i don't want to say an afterthought but second edition like there's a lot that was was not included right that actually segues very well into talking about the story of these things. And we've talked a little about that. I, today, we've mixed a little bit of lore and story together. But what is the role that these races play in Dark Sun and specifically in your campaign um, in general and, and specifically for, for Robert and I? Robert has really hit the nail on the head when we talks about the humans. Humans, because of the prolific well, – in terms of Dark Sun, humans are so prolific that instead of creating – cultures of, you know, the elves represent this culture and the dwarves represent this culture. The humans have started representing the known uh, human cultures to kind of give it that thing. But the races don't seem to, like the races don't specifically seem to play into that as much, but they seem to create another role. Uh, What do you mean like to, uh, what do you mean create another role? What's, what are you thinking about there? So let's think about a traditional D&D setting. The elves play this, you know, the timeless, the arcane, the you know, the fae. They they play this role in in the mesh of quote unquote humanity. But that role has been taken, has been changed because now the human societies have covered these different gamuts of different types of human societies. Gotcha. So I, I almost feel that when we talk about the story, and I think I, I feel like Dark Sun is, is very much this is that. When you talk about Dark Sun, we're not, we're no longer talking about a story about a culture or a story about a race. You're talking, you're very much into the individual because even though this individual might come from this city state or may might come from here or they might come from this elven tribe, it is completely different when you're an adventurer. You don't have to pull from that, that trope anymore because now you are playing to this specific thing in that race. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, just kind of thinking about that, you know, the elves specifically, you know, somewhat reminded me of, of, you know, they were trying, they seem to be sort of like this, you know, like the native American kind of, you know, they're tribal, you know, they, they're kind of outside of society. And I think you can see those aspects, but I think they did such a good job of making them their own, that it's not like pandering to, to sort of that view. It's just sort of like, they just happen to share some of those aspects, it seems like. And so I really think they did a great job of making, giving the elves their own society. And yet it would also seem like something somewhat familiar. It's definitely not like pointed out anywhere or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And so I think that giving the elves that, that sort of different 
that different society and different culture lends itself to like, you know, like I was talking about before, you know, they're, you know, it's going to be easy to kind of befriend some elves in the name of fighting against the sorcerer Kings, you know, um, even though elves are known or thought to be, you know, untrustworthy. And so, you know, sort of the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing kind of comes up a lot with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What you said, it was basically, I think really hits it on the head is that in terms of the story of the, of the game, they, they went and changed everything so that you wouldn't be comfortable with the regular tropes. Something I forgot to mention earlier is lifespan. I mean, the elves don't live for 700, 1,000 years anymore. Right. Their lifespan right. is actually shorter than dwarves, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And it creates a different, you know, if it's hard for us to think past like 100 years. I mean, if we're lucky, maybe we'll live to 100. But now you've you've done that with a race that's traditionally this very long thought and and doesn't rush and whatnot, and it's really changed that that dynamic. And I don't know if that's something that a lot of players or a lot of DMs will think about. Um, but if you realize that your lifespan is only so long, you know maybe there's a reason why their elves are running so lo- so quickly. You know they're trying to get from place to place and and get their stuff done, um, sort of thing. And Dwarves have a longer lifespan than elves do. They have longer time to finish a major focus in their life to try to to, to try to get something done, um, and that long lifespan gives them a, a level of patience and meticulousness that I, I've um, that you read in the the stories and the novels where they're like, you know, it's going to take me years to 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 carve this one uh, this one gem to get it perfect so that it goes as part of the next a uh, part of my focus sort of sort of thing mm-hmm. and really bring up that artisan bring up that really like tool proficiency that they they use and obviously it's a little easier to to emulate that in fifth edition now yeah yeah so i think that gives everybody an idea because we really have kind of mixed these two topics in so let's talk specifically about mechanics now i know we've alluded to it i keep saying it but the second edition dark sun was such a departure in terms of at least let's say talk about races about the racial mechanics about rolling dice, everything that it's kind of, you, you can't really go and talk about races unless you talk about mechanics. So first off, the Dark Sun races were in general more powerful than a baseline D&D race, uh, hands down. They had bigger yeah, bumps, yeah. bigger penalties, a bigger swing. And one of the major differences was that stats went from 5 to 20 instead of 3 to 18. Yeah. So 3d6 or 46, drop the lowest, whatever rolling system that you used in D&D, 3 to 18. And it still is today, 3 to 18 if you roll if you roll dice. In Dark Sun, you rolled 5d4. So you had a stat between 5 to 20. And then you added the modifier on right. top of that. So you could have, you know, if, if anybody remembers, if you weren't a fighter or a warrior subclass, when you got to 18, you had an 18, but you have a warrior subclass, you get to roll those percentile dice. <laughs> so well, you didn't have to worry in second edition because you went from 18 to 19, and the difference was, uh, I think 18 was plus one to hit, plus two to damage, and 19 was like plus three to hit, plus seven yeah. to damage. So there was a gigantic uh, uh, difference there. So you really wanted that extra plus one <laughs> on your uh, your strength. But um, let's go through them. Let's, let's go through, and then we'll make a comparison – to fifth edition, but I also want to talk a little bit about fourth edition as well, because of some of the things that they did in fourth edition Dark Sun that I kind of feel did the same thing that they did in 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 the, um, in second edition. Mm-hmm. So 
Let's start with the dwarves. We'll go in the same order as before. Sure. So the dwarves in Dark Sun, you know, still are, are very tough. So they have a plus two bonus to con. Um, still strong, a plus one strength. You know, they are still kind of slow. So they have a minus one dex. And, you know, they're very focused. And, you know, again, kind of points that kind of dour attitude that I was talking about before. They have a minus two charisma. That pretty much doubled what they had before. Um, so that kind of makes the exaggeration of classes or sorry of ability scores even even greater when you can have plus two to something instead of plus one and that kind of gave your your top end 22 or you know if you go to half giants you know 24 strength you know that always made a big difference uh between dark sun and the standard setting the other thing that they have uh, again that we talked about a little bit before um was their focus and the way they they modeled that in game mechanics is they gave dwarves a plus one to saves and a plus two to proficiency rolls, which is essentially skills. If the target sort of, if, if, if the object was in the way of, or in pursuit of their focus. And I feel like that's a little bit weak. I mean, it's not very clear as to when that happened. So it was very much Mm -hmm. up to DM Fiat um, if that worked. Um, So I feel like there would need to be, something something different in in fifth edition to kind of make that happen Hmm. as dwarves uh you know one of the things they kind of kept uh you know across across the worlds basically is that they have a a bonus to saves for poisons toxins you know depending on their constitution they have infravision which nowadays is uh uh, just kind of you know see in the darks instead of it, it used to be it used to be that you could actually see people's uh people's heat so that was why it was infravision, mm-hmm. but they kind of changed that. So <laughs> they, again, like I talked about before, they don't, they don't have the ability to detect sloping passages or any bonuses to to fighting giants. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else in uh, second edition, or you said you wanted to talk about fourth edition? Well, fourth edition, it, the only quick mention I want to make about fourth edition was was in terms of the the power up. So in second edition, you started a character. At third level, I know this doesn't specifically have anything to do with races, but yeah, when you take into a fact that you've got a character that has stats up to twenty plus their bonuses, a third level starting character, uh, a third level starting character, and the character trees, those things that they they printed, you got a pretty por- powerful character to start off, especially in, in in second edition. In fourth edition, they try to emulate the same thing. I mean, in fourth edition, they sort of kept the racial abilities the same between regular D and D. Yeah, exactly the same. And and exactly the same, and they just added some some races in there. And what's happened is that that's that kind of model has gone into fourth uh, into fifth edition. But one of the things that they introduced in in fourth edition was the thing uh, about uh, themes. And I think that's one of the things that you can emulate some of these things very very well. Now, in fourth edition, dwarves did not have a focus. It was no mechanical thing about yeah. focus if i remember if i'm remembering correctly it was just you're still a dwarf right and i think they even depicted dwarves with beards in fourth edition <laughs> i'm trying to remember some of the art that was done um i think they still did actually so <laughs> maybe i know malls didn't but anyways so let's get into fifth edition here sure so if uh you know if i was running fifth edition uh actually let's go back real quick because i just looked up something sure. when you were talking about the dwarf focus so um, on athis.org, I did an interview of Robert J. Schwab for his book, Deathmark, which was a Dark Sun novel. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, you know, what he liked 
about Darkseland. One of the things he mentioned was was dwarves. Um, in his book, he talks about there's a dwarven banshee and stuff like that. So I wanted to ask him why didn't you guys you know do anything with with the dwarven focus? And you know if you, if you could do something mechanically, what would you do? Mm-hmm. This is this is what he said. I'll I'll read it. Uh, he says this is a tricky one, and it's something we tossed around and argued about during design. The challenge here is that the focus is really a role playing tool with mechanical consequences. Since we didn't want to force players into this story element, we handled the focus concept as purely a role playing device, as we described under the dwarf entry in the Dark Sun campaign setting. For a long time, fans and folks who want this element to be more prominent, I proposed to use the following rule. So he gave a fourth edition for uh, focus rule, and we'll put that in the show notes. But suffice to say, basically, that um, when you undertake a major or minor quest, you can choose to make that your focus. And until you complete that quest, you gain a plus two bonus on ability checks and skill checks relating to complete the subject to the Dungeon Master's approval. Now, if you take undertake different quests while your focus remains unfilled, you're on a minus two to ability checks uh, related to the other quest. So, you know, that's, that's one way to do it. I, I kind of wish they, they had put that in there because yeah, it kind of l- makes it fall flat. So it is, it is a difficult thing to do. And I don't know if I necessarily have the answer or like how we would do that for fifth edition. Um, I would think that something simple, like uh, you get advantage roles made in direct alignment with your focus. That's still, again, that comes up to kind of DM fiat, whereas mm-hmm. you could put a, a little more limitations on that by saying like, you can, you can use that. Uh, once per long rest or twice per short rest or something like that. Um, and that would give it a little, something a little more finite. I would also give uh, dwarves just the plus two to con and plus one to strength. Mm-hmm. You know, most things in Dark Sun don't have, or sorry, in uh, uh, fifth edition, you know, don't have the negatives. So, you know, that's, that's, some, that's something that would be easy to do. If you do want to give Dark Sun that extra little bonus, you know, maybe give them, you know, give them something else on top of it. I would keep all the race abilities at still three to 18 in fifth edition um mm-hmm. because the that's how the, the the system is built um with three to 18 in mind so i'd be careful about mm-hmm. going too much more than that yeah you know i would keep their um advantages to saving throws against poison poison damage so i would just give them advantage against those i would give them some tool proficiencies since they don't really have a sub race i would probably just take one of the sub races from fifth edition uh, and give them dwarven toughness so they gain um, a hit point maximum increase by one and increase it every time they level how about you do you have any thoughts on uh, fifth edition stuff yeah pretty much i mean the the focus is the thing that's that's the most difficult and that's something where i agree with you would be it would be more something more like um get advantage on a roll make it in the player's hands because they know the focus so once per short rest or once per long rest or something like that, where they can they can automatically get advantage, something like that. I, I, that's that's the the fifth edition adaptation that I would take to that, mm-hmm. just sort of thing. And then you know, tool proficiencies, you know, give a couple of tool proficiencies since they're really they're kind of ribbons that are related to your focus, and yeah. you know, work with your DM obviously to to do that. Uh, if you look at um, Xanathar's at the beginning of all the classes, they have these kind of like two tables for each class that kind of give some suggestions about using that class mm-hmm. do the same thing with the races and 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 for dwarves be like it's one of these eight types of focuses or one of these six types of focuses it has yeah, this awesome. gonna give you some something something concrete to to look at and to follow let's move on to elves why don't you talk about uh the second edition elven abilities all right so 
Owls went from, like I mentioned before, plus one dex, minus one con to a plus two dex and minus two con. I mean, not inspired design, but basically adding adding to that. Also, plus one intelligence. Elves are smart. And minus one wisdom. Just to, I, I believe this was because they're reckless. You know, elves are really, really reckless and that yeah. reflects their minus one wisdom. You still got your plus one uh, to attack with certain weapons. They still had their quote unquote infravision, but no, you know, rubbing the elf across a secret door. I mean, you're not in, you're not going to be inside very as much in, in, in Dark Sun. And I remember there was something about, was it like a surprise or a hiding thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, elves got a minus four to surprise, or opponents got a minus four to surprise when an elf or a group of elf approached. And that sort of moved, you know, I feel like they took that, like those were all of the second edition revised, or sorry, original box set abilities. And I feel like they took that surprise and sort of that's what they, you know, they kind of based, uh, they based some of the other uh, abilities on when the revised uh, box set came out because they gave mm-hmm. elves um, an elf run um, and that gave them, um, based on their con, they could keep up for a number of days mm-hmm. running before penalties began as long as they were with other elves. So it kind of harkens mm-hmm. back to that other that other thing. Like you were saying, the elves are always most powerful. So as if they didn't have enough things, they also gave them an inbred swiftness, which basically gave them a bonus to their movement based on their dexterity. So it gave them a yeah. plus some, between a plus one and a plus nine to their movement. And back in second edition, your movement was in inches. So it was, uh, you know, 12 inches was the base. So they had a, a 13 to a 21 is their movement. So it was mm-hmm. quite a bit faster than a regular, a regular human. What do you think you'd do for fifth edition? Is there anything over fourth edition you want to talk about? In fourth edition, there really wasn't much. I mean, they took the elf, which already had a seven square, 35 foot movement and really didn't do much. I mean, it it didn't really, it was an elf. I mean, it, it was the same fantasy elf. There was, and while I don't necessarily agree with the crazy movement, but that long distance running is kind of important, but it doesn't really, sh- that really doesn't really show up in fourth edition because fourth edition in terms of that was not, there wasn't a lot of gradient. It was, you had a power or you didn't have a power. Like there was no, like, here's a sort of minor power. Like they did not really have ribbons in, in fourth. Yeah. There really wasn't those, uh, the sort of minor things you could do. It was all mostly combat based. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and as you move into fifth edition, Elves having plus two to dex, plus one to intelligence, uh, that just kind of just follows with the second edition. You know, more speed, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I think there's a lot of classes that get a little bo- a little bonus to speed. So I think it's it's definitely within within the design elements of fifth edition to kind of give them a little a little bit bonus. I mean, they are significantly taller than humans. One of the things I would take out, just because it it, it seems to overload a little bit, is I would take out their dark vision. And I've had this this discussion with people before is that if every single race has dark vision except for one or two, then it's kind of use like dark vision is kind of useless. Like it's just like it's it's a non-ability. And nothing really in Dark Sun would require an elf to have dark vision. I mean, they might run in the evenings, but they're not gonna run in the middle of the night usually. Mm-hmm. That's something I would hesitate to leave in. It's it's not a major deal. Again, it's a it's a ribbon ability. Um so that's definitely something I'd be like, yeah. I think I agree with you. The usual stuff, you know, elves are still good with perception. And definitely you want something 
to deal with with their overland ability. So something that says, you know, if you know an elf is running, their overland movement is is more, or they can move at a fast pace with no penalties. Yeah. You know, when you move land, you have the the slow, regular, slow, normal, and fast pace. Like mm-hmm. they can move at a fast pace with no penalties, with no penalties to stealth or anything like that. Like that, just to have that that speedy movement. Yeah, something like that. Definitely. One of the things that uh, was always interesting was you know the elven proficiency with longbows and longswords, and with Dark Sun, there really wouldn't be longswords around. You know, you can't really make a bone longsword really. But so one of the things that that I always did to kind of make that fit with the story was kind of say that elves have part of the elven tradition of creating swords um, is they figured out some way to sort of harden bone. And so they can, in fact, make elven bone long swords that are sort of hardened that they can use. Um, And I always thought that was uh, like I always try to kind of bring that up that their long swords are different um than than others you might find because because of that. What's the new weapon in Tomb of Annihilation, the y- Yikla or something? Yeah. The, yeah. the the tooth. I mean, that's a <laughs> that's a long sword made of, you know, teeth and and whatnot. So maybe something like that. Basically a a a short-handled spear with like a broad head. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, and then like I, we were just playing um Lost Shrine of Tomoachan and the party just found a long sword that is a wooden weapon. It's a magic weapon. So it's wooden, but it also has obsidian blades, mm-hmm. you know, implanted in it and all the rounds. And that's basically a Makawito, which is, yeah. uh, you know, like uh, that, that was classically given a different, like a di- different stats, but in fifth edition, they just gave it straight up uh, long sword stats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, that kind of covers it. I mean, the the major thing is that overland movement, forced mm-hmm. march, um, the you know the ability to endure that kind of thing. That's 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 got to be part of that race. It, it is a little bit of a ribbon because you know you're not always going to be traveling with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff is is very limited. So so moving on to half elves, you know, half elves they got some abilities that are different than other kind of standard half elves uh, and really fit with the ideas of them being loners. Why don't you talk about some of that way? In second edition, they've lost some of their, their elven abilities. So uh, what we now call the fey ancestry, you can't rub a half elf against a wall to find a secret door either. <laughs> they, they still have their dark vision, infravision. They had the human ability to you know have no class limits or whatnot. But they had stuff like um, they had special abilities. So at third level, you gained uh, a proficiency, a survival proficiency, because they were so used to being left alone and whatnot. And at fifth level, you'd gain a, a special pet, almost like a familiar. Like so, you know, all the half elves and in, in Dark Sun had some pet running around, like a, a, a weird frog or a lizard that basically was hanging around them. Translating that into fifth edition. I don't have much to say about fourth edition half elves. Like, really, no no changes whatsoever there. But yeah. uh, in fifth edition, you're looking at a slightly different half elf than you do in, in a normal edition. Because while you can just use half elves as is, again, I would take away the dark vision uh, because, again, you have elves have no you need for dark vision. Humans have no dark vision. To ha- leave that in, it just seems like doesn't seem to have any use particularly. But to keep with that survival proficiency, give them survival you know if you want to try to mimic that pet ability 
give them something that does that. Now it's eluding me. Doesn't the gnome have something? No, gnome has ability to talk with animals. Yeah, they have the ability to talk. Yeah, yeah, some, something like that. I mean, that's that's a ribbon ability, but that that will sort of emulate a little bit. Mm-hmm. That that's pet thing. I mean, you could even do something. You know, I don't know. I'd have to think about it more, but <clears throat> just something like maybe an, an animal friendship. You know, something equivalent to the animal friendship spell or something like that. Yeah, it's like something simple. Or you know, you could even do something easier than you know, lighter than even like a ranger. Just give them you know a quarter hit dice beast or something like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Moving on to halflings again, you got them. You got that that sort of nimbleness in, in the halfling. So, Robert, what was his halfling abilities in second edition? Yeah, so uh, like you said, you know they had a bonus. They had actually a plus two to dex and wisdom, uh, and minus one to con and charisma. So you know they had some some drastic ability scores. They they had a resistance to poison like the dwarves. They had a, a, a talents with slings and thrown weapons. They got some bonuses. And like you said, you know, no infravision. And I think I think you're right. I think you know, elves and half elves should not have infravision as well. Going into f- to fourth edition was the same, even though even though they were pretty different. You know, everything in the fifth edition or fourth edition campaign setting book is like there's nothing that talks about the regular races except for just you know some details. But there's no really stats. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there might have been uh, there might have been some some powers that you could do something with here and there, but there was really very little for any of uh, any of the standard races. They tried to sort of just port those over as much as they can, um, which is kind of did, did a disservice really. Uh, there's a lot of things I liked about fourth edition, but that was one that I did not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, do you, what would you do for uh, fifth edition? So a couple of easy things to, to emulate plus two decks, plus one to wisdom. It's pretty, pretty good, pretty standard for, for halfling. It's, it's easy to, to do. You've got a lot of the regular halfling abilities that really kind of fit are, are perfectly fine. You know, resistance to poison. You know, they already don't have dark vision. You're not going to give them the lucky. My fifth edition foo is is off today. The the halfling luck ability, like you're not going to give them to reroll, yeah. reroll ones, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But they are hunters. They're survivors. So I mean, maybe you want to give them uh, survival proficiency. You know, automatic sur- survival proficiency. They've got stealth like they're hunters right so stuff that that matches that mm-hmm. if you want to give them proficiency and in intimidation i mean nobody wants to meet a halfling in a dark alley <laughs> right sort of thing i mean i don't know if i would give them proficiency maybe maybe you know their feral nature give them an advantage on those checks but yeah. you know which, which is worth maybe just as much as proficiency but <laughs> you know i don't think they're necessarily naturally good at it it's just that culturally yeah. people are afraid of them <laughs> so but yeah, yeah, like you're saying, you know, some bonuses to stealth and stuff. Um, so that's about it for halflings. So we'll move on to humans, and uh, you know, humans have classically not had any um, kind of any changes to their character, but the way that they were shown to have abilities was that they could. Uh, there was two things. One, they could dual class. So back in second edition non-humans could multi-class so you could be the same thing at the same time so like mm-hmm. if you're a fighter uh if you're a dwarf like fighter cleric you would go up in fighter and cleric at the same time but you were severely limited uh in most cases to what levels you could gain um as a non-human in any given class so that was how previous editions limited that sort of stuff um humans again you know they could dual class which means like they could go up in one class and then they could switch to another class Mm -hmm. and then go up 
which is sort of weird. Um, I mean, that has, that has some history in Dark Sun as far as how the Sorcerer Kings were plotted out, um, you know, being wizards uh, and then psionicists to become Sorcerer Kings. And one of the big books, uh, Dragon Kings, talked about doing that for clerics, having uh, having them become elementals. And again, only I think only humans could do it, but they had to be dual class to do that. So that was kind of how the humans were shown to kind of shine over the other races and that they um, they could do those dual classing. And also they didn't have uh, level limits for their classes. Mm-hmm. So those were the only really uh, real abilities that humans got. If I remember dual classing correctly, it wasn't that powerful either um, because you you would be like, let's say I'm going to fourth level and you dual class and start over. You you couldn't use the abilities from your previous class until you got to a higher level and then you wouldn't get new hit points. Like it was a little bit ridiculous. I mean, at, at second edition, what are you going to say, right? So yeah. Um, in fifth edition, I really don't see any changes need to be done for humans it's pretty much a balance game as it is. So if you either have a plus one to all your stats or you take the feed instead, it's pretty much the same. Um, one of the things that we haven't really mentioned, and I think we'll mention more when we talk about psionics as, as part of, of Dark Sun, is that you know you got uh, wild talents. And I consider that part of the race because well, I consider part of the class too. I mean, sure, every creature, every at least every PC got a wild talent, a wild psionic talent, which is basically a a cantrip yeah. that could they, they could use at a certain time, mm-hmm. depending on second edition rules or or third edition. I realize I still have my although in second and third edition they weren't necessarily cantrips either. They could be extremely powerful, <laughs> right? Right. In second edition, it was dependent on what you rolled, but the majority of them were cantrips, <laughs> unless you like rolled like you know ninety nine, uh, maybe ninety eight to a hundred, like. 98 or 99 you'd have rolled twice and then the other one you'd roll at a different chart yeah yeah i'm trying to remember that <laughs> i'm trying to remember that that chart and I, I don't quite remember the exact numbers yeah but definitely for fifth edition uh, so what i do in my fifth edition game is i just made a little chart of 20 powers that are basically spells i just took spells and some of them i kind of limited like if it was i can't even remember i can't think of it off the top of my head but like if they were limited to to doing to other people, then I would say if it's psionic, you're sort of limited to do it, doing it to yourself. So that was one of the things that I always took from second edition psionics, you know, slightly, slightly off topic was that a lot of it was kind of pointed towards the self pointed towards Mm -hmm. the person that was doing the psionics than other people. So that's where like in third edition, they sort of started getting away from that, you know, having a lot of external powers. Mm -hmm. And so I really like the whole like pointing to yourself. Like that's the whole idea. It's your own mind, your own body. But anyways, so I would, you know, just created this, uh, this chart and then I have people rolling, roll on that. And they're mostly cantrips, but some first level spells for the higher level stuff, uh, or the higher roll, I should say. Uh, so we still do, you know, kind of ran- that's kind of the one random thing we do in my dark sun games. That pretty much wrap up our topic. I mean, we are going to come back to this and, uh, obviously you've realized that we've only talked about the traditional quote unquote D and D races. Um, we're going to talk about the more esoteric and the more, for me, the, the ones that I like playing, um, races in Dark Sun, um, in a future episode. But that's basically it. I'm, I hope everybody enjoyed that. I know that it's been a little while since we last, I put a, a recording out. Thank you for waiting. Thank you for our audience. You guys are great. So Robert, if people want to reach out to you and talk with you and, and pick your brain about Dark Sun, what's the best way to reach you? 
Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm always around on Facebook. Uh, you can just look me up there on Twitter. You can find me at Radu 76. That's R A D D U seven, six, uh, sometimes on Google plus if, uh, on Facebook, there's the, the dark sun group. Uh, you can join there. There's several thousand people in there now on athos.org. You can go to arena.athos.org and there's some forums there. People chat about dark sun there. And then, um, if you really want to get a hold of me and we can, you know, you really want to talk a lot, I'm running a Patreon. In that Patreon, I run Adventures League games, some of my author-only games, but I also do uh, right now a monthly Dark Sun, but I'm hoping to either get another game or push that game up to kind of twice a month. But you can reach me there at patreon.com slash darksun. And I'm going to start starting in January, or sorry, starting in December, I'm going to be doing some free games. So just if anybody wants to play, you know, sign up, I'll pick five people out of all the people that sign up. And uh, we'll play, you know, four hours of Dark Sun. And you can find me at lookingforgm.com with those free games. So if you look me up there, I'm Radu. You should be able to, you know, just find the listings. And I will be going to conventions coming up next year. Luckily, I have have December off. But (laughs) uh, come January, I'll be starting the convention circuit again. So January, I'll be at uh, in, in Mountain View, which is basically San Francisco, California, Far West Con followed up by Winter Fantasy, which is February 7th through 11th in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Then the D8 Summit, um, April 27th through 29th in Utica, Utica, Illinois. ChupacabraCon, May 4th through 6th in Round Rock, Texas. I might be going to Comic-Con in Phoenix in lovely July, I think it is. And then, you know, I might be doing something for you. We'll see, we'll see how that how that works out. When is that again? Yeah, I, I mean... Uh... Just so everybody realizes, Robert's talking about 2018. So in case you're listening yes. to this in the future and you're like, wait, he's not at these cons anymore. We're talking about 2018. I am not as prolific on social media as Robert is, uh, but you can always catch us on Twitter. Dark Sun, uh, we have our we have a um, uh, an email address as well if you want to try to reach us directly. It's pretty easy to find us. I mean, you're going to find us anywhere. In terms of cons, uh, I'm trying not to do as many next year. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it takes a lot of time and effort. but we love hearing from you. We love hearing from the audience. But like I said, thank you so much for listening. I we really appreciate it. Uh, we really appreciate you guys sticking with us. You know, Robert and I are going to try to work on a schedule. We're going to try to keep this uh, a monthly podcast. Um, we do kind of run about an hour and a bit every single time. Um, so we got a lot of content. And if there's something you want to hear us talk about, if there's something you want us to to cover. Please, please let us know. Uh, we appreciate the topics. Uh, Robert and I always kind of scratch our heads and we've got a hundred topics and we don't know which one you guys want us to hear and which one you want to cover. Um, so please let us know. Regardless, thank you so much for listening. And uh, this has been Bone Son of Obsidian. Till next time. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.